have a word of prayer. Then we'll dig, we're, we're back into Mark, the never-ending gospel. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for Emily and Candy leading us in worship and for those in the sound booth that keep things going. And Lord, for all the workers that are helping with the children and, and all the other things that go on. I bless you for them and I pray your blessing upon them. And as we look into your word today, I pray that, Lord, your word will leap off the pages into our heart. And that, Father, it will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Holy Spirit, teach us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We left off a couple weeks ago. You know, we had Palm Sunday and then we had a, a Resurrection Sunday or Easter, whatever you like to call it. But... Three weeks ago, we had this moment. And what, what was it? It was this moment where Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees and scribes in Mark chapter 11, the last part of it. And they tried to trap him. They tried to trick him. And they tried to get him to answer a question that would trap him and would set him up for a downfall. Jesus turned it around. And he had them answer, or actually give, choose between one of two answers. And both of them, those answers would trap them. In the previous encounter, Jesus outwitted his opponents by forcing them to pick one of two unacceptable options. Here they, uh, here they, they attempt to return the favor. What we're going to look at today, they're going to return the favor by asking Jesus to take sides on a political controversy over whether to pay taxes to Rome. And you know what's really funny? It's really not, but it, but it is. That same controversy goes on today. I mean, with celebrities, with, with everyday people, should we be paying taxes? And I want to assure you today that that's not what we're talking about. Okay? And really, I want to assure you this, that's not what this is about. Because I'm hoping that we see really contextually what this event was really about. Okay? Jesus, the Word of God incarnate, exposed the religious leaders' apostate system. Therefore, they, consider, uh, they conspired to rid themselves of this constant conviction. And hang, look at that statement. Therefore, they conspired to rid themselves of this constant conviction. I'm going to read that one more time. Therefore, they conspired to rid themselves of this constant conviction. Let that statement sink into your hearts because really, we're no different. Mark chapter 12, let's look at it, verse 13. Then they... Who was that? The Sanhedrin. Sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, meaning Jesus, 
knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. He was so slick. <laughs> Wasn't he? I mean, it was, it's just incredible. It's incredible. Here we go. Here's the scene. Look at verse 13 again. Now, we're going to read through this several times. Here we go. Verse 13. Then they, meaning the Sanhedrin, sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. That's the scene. The plan was this, to bring about the death of the Lord Jesus. The Jewish leaders not only had to turn the people against him, they needed also, listen to this, they needed also to persuade the Romans to execute him. It wasn't just turning the people against him. They had to persuade the Romans to execute this guy. Now, how were they going to do that? Through a collaboration. Watch this. Who do they collaborate with? The Pharisees and the Herodians. Who are the Herodians? We'll look at them in a minute. The Pharisees were the most extreme advocates of religious law and conduct, most pious of all the religious groups. These guys were the most holy. They had the robes. They had the phylacteries on their hands. They said their prayers every day. They didn't eat anything that was unclean. They were just stupid pious. Okay? Now, who are the Herodians? This political party were supporters of the dynasty of Herod in the Roman law. Nothing is known about them beyond what the gospels state. Jesus is teaching, now listen to this, Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God and his influence with the people was a threat to their interests. What does this mean? You have the religious group, and then you got the political group. And the Herodians, they, were, they, didn't, they didn't mess. They didn't want anybody to mess up their stuff. Why? Because if anybody came against what they were doing, it would mess up... Their income, it would mess up their, their, their power, their prestige, the whole bit. And the same with the religious group. It would mess up their income, their prestige, their power, the whole bit. So you have the Jewish law, and you got Roman law. You all with me? Okay. The purpose of the collaboration and encounter was to trip Jesus up in his words so that he would lose the support of the people, opening a way for the religious leaders to destroy him. And here's a thought. I want us to think about this. The person who truly follows Jesus Christ will always threaten that which the world holds dear. It would... We as believers, here's Ron's commentary for a second. I don't have my thing anymore, so I can't put a quarter in it, okay? But I want us to think about this. Does our lives, do our lives upset the world system? 
Now, don't get me wrong and don't read into that. Am I talking about, let's, you know, get parades and protests? No. Just when you are living so close to God, does it make other people wonderfully or unwonderfully uncomfortable? Does your life show forth the very presence of God, his ways, his words, everything, in such a way that is contrary to the world system? Meaning what? What the world believes. Does your stand on the things of God, well, I'm going to say this, I hope it doesn't bother anybody. Does your stand on abortion? Does your stand on homosexuality? Does your stand on the things that the world is approving, is it counter to the world? Or is it running right along with it? Because what's happening here is the Pharisees are collaborating with the world to get their purpose done. You all with me? You ever saw that? They're collaborating with the world to get their evil purpose done or what they want. And don't think that we as believers don't at times do the same thing. So much of our walk, here's our premise today, so much of our walk with Christ bears a resemblance to this confrontation. Okay, look at verse 14. Hang in there with me. It says, They came and said to him, Teacher, who's they? The Pharisees and Herodians. Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one. For you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? Here's the ambush. It starts out with some wonderful hypocritical flattery. I call it church people talk. Well, hey, sister, how you doing? Good to see you just look so pretty today. You know, we need some people to work in the children's ministry. <laughs> you ever been there? <laughs> Hey, brother, how you doing? God bless you. You know what? We, we, got a, we got a building program going on. You know, and we know that you were just a man that listens to no one, and you stand on your own principles, brother. And we got a building program going on. We would like you to just kind of be a part of that. Right? <laughs> now, I'm making fun of it, okay? But we do that, don't we? Okay? Let's stop. So it starts off with this. A deception begins with influential flattery. All right? Here we go. Let's look at some more. They say to him, is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Now, let's read it again. It says, teacher, we know, verse 14, that you are truthful and defer to no one, and you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Influential flattery and the setup. So what are we saying? What is it? The Jews were required by the Romans to pay tribute money into the emperor's treasury. This was between 1% and 3% per person. It was a civ the civil poll tax paid by all who were enrolled in the census. So if you were enrolled... Let's put it this way. It was Roman income tax. 
Now, I'm not talking against income tax. Okay, so don't get me wrong. Don't go, yeah, all right, finally a preacher is going to side with us. We're going to stand against. No, I'm not. Okay? Paying the poll tax was the most obvious sign. Now, here, let me show you something. With this ambush, with both the, with, with the uh, Pharisees, but not with the Herodians, paying the poll tax was the most obvious sign of submission to Rome. They liked that. The Herodians liked that. The Jews didn't. Zealous claimed that the poll tax was a God-dishonoring badge of subjection to Rome. You know what they were called? The patriots. To trap, then put Jesus into the position where he would either alienate a major part of the population or else lay himself open to the charge of treason. Meaning what? If Jesus sided with the Herodians, okay, he would alienate himself from his own people. If Jesus sided with the Pharisees, he would be considered treasonous to the Herodians and to the Romans. So either way, he was going to lose. We're setting up the argument. So they ask him, is it lawful? to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not. Now, this is just Ron's interpretation of it, okay? Ron's commentary. In my heart, as I've read this a hundred times this week, easy, I think there was a pause between there. I think Jesus was kind of standing there, sitting down. We don't know what he was doing. And he says, is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar? Crickets, 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 crickets. Background noise. Tapping of sandals long pause of waiting and then they said this to him shall we pay or shall we not there was this impatience they wanted to trap him so badly the intent of this question was to force jesus to a direct answer identifying himself either with the zealots or with the herodians now Look at the answer. Look at the last part of verse 15. But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius. They brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God." And they were amazed at him. He says, but Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus was not about to fall into their trap. And he called out their hypocrisy. Let me show you something. Hypocrisy comes from the Greek word hypokresis, which means an overacting personification. It means play acting. It means hypocrisy. It means simulation. It means pretend. It means this, godlessness. And when you take all that, what does it mean? It means living out a lie. We're play acting. They were acting one like they loved Jesus or cared about Jesus. They were acting like they were spiritual. They were acting like this really mattered to them. And they were acting like they really wanted an answer from him because they were interested in that and they wanted to live by that answer. Kind of sounds like church, doesn't it? 
Am I being a little hard today? Yes, because I'm hard on me. And I want us to understand something. We've got to quit play acting. I've said this for decades. Christianity is not a game. It is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle that's embedded in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we play this game thinking that we can get away with it. And we can't play a game anymore. Because if you're playing a game, you need to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith or not. Because those who are in the faith, they love God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. The best they can. Not perfection. We can't attain to that. But their heart and their eyes are on Christ. They may stumble, they may fall, but they get up and fix their eyes on Christ again and move forward. And they make it to the end. He said, whose likeness is on this inscription? This is, this is great. Another reason this payment was objectionable to Jews was this. Now look, how many of you got a quarter left and you didn't put it in my daughter's birthday thing? Okay, whose inscription is on a quarter? Anybody know? George Washington. But if you look at it, it's really inscribed where you can actually touch it, you can feel it. It's embedded in there, right? Now think about that for a second. Imagine that's Caesar's face. You're a Jew. Dramatic pause. Another reason this payment was objectionable to Jews was the coin with which it was to be paid, the denarius, bore the emperor's graven image. Deuteronomy 4 says you're not supposed to do that. It's stamped on it. And why? Because it was Roman law to worship Caesar as a god. It was law. So you think that would be objectionable to Jews? Yes. And especially to the Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, and even the whole religious system. It was against. Jesus moved the discussion. Now watch this. Jesus moves the discussion from politics to principle, and he caught the hypocrites in their own trap. And showing the coin to Jesus, they had already answered their own question. You know what do you mean? By using Caesar's coinage, they were acknowledging Caesar's authority and thus obligation, their obligation to pay the tax. Meaning this, they were acting like, we shouldn't be paying this, we were, you know, it's got a grave in it. But you ever caught this? He asked for a coin and someone had one. probably in the temple get the point they had a coin someone went yeah here 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 so they already incriminated themselves as Jews for having the coin that's important because of the next statement that we're gonna see Jesus question gave them no escape they could not profess ignorance for
for the coin answered the question and witnessed against them. So much of our walk with Christ bears a resemblance to this confrontation. We try to escape it, but our circumstances bear the image of our own hypocrisy. What in your life is there that bears the image of the world? Look at verse 17. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God. The Greek has it this way, if you put it in a literal translation. It says this. The things belonging to Caesar pay off to Caesar. So if that's true, Christians that are saying we shouldn't pay our income tax and all this other kind of stuff, is that true? No, because of this. Jesus said, pay off to Caesar what's Caesar's. Why? We live in the nation. We live in America. We use the money system of America. Our tax is what? It's just a right to use the system. Now, this, is the system wrong? Probably. But we live here. Am I making sense? So to say we aren't supposed to pay taxes, and this has nothing to do with this real sermon, has nothing to do with this, but I want to say this. To say we don't pay taxes is idiotic. It's not even scriptural. Because here, Jesus says, whatever belongs to Caesar, pay off to Caesar. Let me show you what that means. The Jewish leaders had used only the word didomai, to give. If you look back in verse 14, look what they said. Teacher, and then he goes on, is it lawful to pay a poll tax or pay, which means give, a poll tax to Caesar or not? That word just means to give. It's didomai in the Greek. Jesus uses the word apodidomai, which means what? It means to pay something as a debt. Does that make sense so far? They said that lawful for us to take our, our money and to give it to Caesar. Jesus said this, give unto Caesar, pay unto Caesar what you owe him. Doesn't that make sense? You see it? Why? You pay something that you owe. We live here, we owe. But look what he says. Watch this. Let me read you something. This is really good. Dr. Kenneth Wiest, in his work studies in the Greek New Testament, said this. It's hard, going to be hard to read, but I want to put it up there. The coin is Caesar's. Let him have his own. That was his interpretation. The fact that it circulates in Judea, now listen to this, shows that it is in the ordering of God's providence. Which means what? Stop there for a second. It was God's. It was God's will for them to do this. It was God's. Since it was there, God allowed it. You pay the tax. Am I making sense? Okay. Judea is now under Roman rule. Recognize facts. So long as they exist as interpreting 
to you the divine will and submit. The question rested on an implied incompatibility of the payment of tribute with the requirements of the law of God. Did you catch that? The question rested on an implied incompatibility of the payment of tribute with the requirements of the law of God. And the Lord replies that there is no such incompatibility. Debts to man and debts to God are both to be discharged. And the two spheres of duty are at once distinct and reconcilable. Once you hear that again. Jesus looked on taxes as the citizen's debt to the government in return for the services performed. Now, I've been saying it's not what this is about. It's not. So much of our walk with Christ bears a resemblance to this confrontation. Christ bore our debt before God, and our walk before him bears our hypocrisy. That's the point. I know it sounds really heavy, and we've got to. There's a time that we live in right now, more than any other time, that Christianity has got to be called for what it is. Christians have got to be called to a holy life. Not a pious, egotistical life, but a life that displays Christ, not again in perfection. You can't be perfect. And God knows that. He gave us grace because of that. We couldn't keep the law, he gave us Christ. We couldn't walk the law out perfectly, so he gave us forgiveness. You see the point? But in still, that is never the excuse to not walk before him holy as much as possible. Our eyes, our hearts, our minds, everything on him. To the point where just the slightest voice from him, the slightest conviction will turn us away from something. That's what Jesus is talking about. We owe a debt. Now, let me explain. When I said this to somebody this week, they said, make sure you don't confuse with works salvation. That's not what this is. But we owe a debt. Our debt was paid through Christ. So therefore, we are called bondservants of the Most High God, right? Bond, say it with me. We are children. We're part of the bride. But we are bond you see the point? A servant has a master. The servant owes the master his allegiance because of what the master has done for him. We can't do it on our own. Am I making sense? This is not a game, but we act like it is. And every time I preach like this, the congregation gets smaller. The question is, is about authority. By using the coin, they are recognizing the authority of Rome and Caesar. But they must not forget that they are to live under God's authority also. Why do you think Jesus added that in there? Jesus paid our debt before God. So do we bear the image of Christ? 
Look with me to Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. I would encourage you to turn, even though it's up on the screen, turn in your Bibles if you would. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Look what he did. Let's start in verse 13. Look what he did. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Now this is how he did it. Having canceled out the certificate of debt. You see my point? Consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Our lives are to bear the very impression, the image of God, even as we live in this world. Why? Why? If we're supposed to have the, bear the image of God, why? For this one reason. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this, and this is a paraphrase. He has given us, because of what he did in our lives, he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. Our purpose in this world, whether we like it or not, is not to have a job where we go to and we get so burdened down with it that we forget. It's not to go to church that we get so fat on the word of God that we forget. It's not so that we can have vacation so we can forget. What are we forgetting? We're forgetting the one purpose that God made us alive in Christ, and that's to go and reconcile, bring reconciliation to the world, to bring the gospel of reconciliation to the world. But we're more worried about or concerned about our own desires and our own flesh. And I'm speaking to me, because you know who's the worst? Pastors, because we get so wrapped up in the pharisaical aspects of Christianity and performing sermons and doing this and doing that, that we forget too. That our purpose is to love people and win them to Christ. That's it. Believe it or not, it's not to feed them peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Wasn't supposed to be funny, it was okay. That's not it. It's not for us to do, uh, do, uh, uh, go out and feed the homeless. There's nothing wrong with that. If that's the door that God has given you to go out and to share, share the gospel. But if we're not sharing the gospel, then we're not doing anything different than the world because the Red Cross does that. If we're not proclaiming the gospel, not from, well, I'm just going to let my life proclaim it. Does it? Where in the Bible does it say we're not supposed to speak it? Where? Find it. Oh, but St. Augustine said, you know, you know, let your life declare the gospel and if necessary, use words. He never, ever said that. That's a lie. It's never been found that he ever said that, ever. And anything he ever wrote or anything that was ever written about him. We are to proclaim the gospel. Why? Because we're supposed to be like a coin with the image of God stamped right on our life. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. <clears throat> Colossians 3, verse 9. Look what it says. 
Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So what's the purpose of all this? It's this statement. May our lives bear the image of the one who paid our debt and not the image of the world. That's what Jesus was trying to tell him. Why did he throw that in and said, give to Caesar what you owe him, but give to God what you owe him? The latter part of that statement was the reason for it all. It wasn't a political statement. It was, pay your dues, but make sure that you're giving to God all that's due him. And what's due him? Everything. Our life. Because on the cross, he bought us back. He redeemed us on the cross. And he rose again to secure it. And as I belong to him, I belong to him. Everything in my life belongs to him. Every aspect of it. And he knows I'm not perfect, and he knows I'm going to stumble. Thus he gave me grace. I'm telling you, saints, it's not a game. Let's pray.